Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Spiritual Insights with Charlotte Spicer. Spirituality and Metaphysics Talk Radio, featuring a course in miracles, dream interpretation, guided meditation, and the psychic and metaphysics free-for-all. It's your opportunity to consult with a professional psychic medium, discuss past lives, the chakras, and more. We are non-denominational, and there are no limits. Want to change your life? You must first change your mind. 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 No matter your religious structure, cultivate peace in your reality through self-awareness with an authentic spiritual teacher. And now, your host, Charlotte Spicer. Thank you so much for tuning in. Welcome to Spiritual Insights. Today we'll be discussing women's roles in today's society. While the perception of women in the United States has evolved, we have much, much more work to do. And our guest, Dr. Laura Riley, will share her insights into various scenarios from inequality in the workplace to domestic and sexual violence. Normally, my introductions on the show are rather brief, but there's a lot to be said, and I'm going to say it. In recent world news, a mob of 28 people recently stoned a pregnant woman to death for marrying against her family's wishes. Hundreds of schoolgirls have been kidnapped and were likely sent into the slave trade. A female student was gang-raped inside a moving public bus. These horrific acts are not anomalies, but consistent with the ongoing mistreatment of women around the world. And what about the mistreatment of women in the U.S.? In what ways does the media reinforce gender bias and downplay international gender brutality and subjugation? What's being done about it? Women are not alone in this battle, as there are men who are for equality, but we need to fight harder against violations of our liberties. Immediately following his inauguration as the 44th President of the United States, Barack Obama signed into law the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act of 2009, which relaxes the statute of limitations for equal pay lawsuits. Subsequently, on March 11, 2009, Obama created the White House Council on Women and Girls, which forms part of the Office of Intergovernmental Affairs, having been established by executive order with a broad mandate that he be advised on issues relating to the welfare of American women and girls. He also established the White House Task Force to protect students from sexual assault through an official United States government memorandum on January 22, 2014, with the same broad mandate that he be advised on issues relating to sexual assault on college and university campuses throughout the nation. The task force has been a development out of the White House Council on Women and Girls and the Office of the Vice President of the United States. Incidentally, The 1994 Violence Against Women Act was first drafted by Karen Vice President Joe Biden. This is the United States of America. And no one in the year of our Lord, 2014, should be fighting for equal rights. We need to stand together in order to effect lasting change. Women make up more than 50.8% of the population in this country, and more and more women are being elected into office. But as long as the women of society remain fragmented, these important issues will continue to lose momentum and women will continue 
to play the role of second-class citizens. At some point in the future, I'll put together a segment that supports the LGBT community. But yes, there are powerful people standing in the front line of the battle for women, and that includes my very special guest, Dr. Laura Riley. Dr. Laura received her Bachelor of Arts degree from UCLA and her Master of Arts and Ph.D. degrees in clinical psychology from the University of Southern California. As a psychotherapist, lecturer, and teacher, she has helped battered women become achieving women for more than three decades. Studying the status of women in 94 countries, she's met survivors of violence everywhere and believes that abuse will only end when women unite against it. She writes to encourage them to come together and demand justice and equality with men, and we'll discuss her novel, Tell Me of Brave Women. To learn more about her while you're listening, visit tellmeofbravewomen.com and enjoy the show. This is going to be spectacular. Welcome to the show, Dr. Laura. It's wonderful to have you with us today. Oh, thank you. I'm very honored to be with you and all your work that you do, Charlotte. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Well, let's start from the beginning. Take us back in time. What circumstance or events made you such a passionate advocate for women? Well, not only did I have women patients throughout my life who thought themselves littler than men, thought themselves less than, when there was mm-hmm. no reason, were always fearful that their decisions weren't right, that they had to ask a man's permission to do things. But that wasn't what instigated me to write a book. I had retired We were in Switzerland. One morning I got up and had CNN on, and there appeared a woman from an Afghan woman shelter, which are illegal. But anyway, she was there. She had a child with her, a boy around six, a little girl, maybe around four. And she was saying that when her husband went out of the house, he hung her by her hair from a nail in the wall. And over, over, it was an overvoice that said 90-some percent of women in Afghanistan had been physically abused. And that visual of having yourself hung by your hair on, a wall, on the wall and, and your children there looking at that, seeing, you know, having what we call witness abuse, right, when yes. you see that in mm-hmm. others. It just, I said, well, I must do something. And I thought, well, I could write some, you know, psychological thing, how it's not nice to abuse women. But then I thought, no, I was good at writing when I was a girl. And I thought, well, okay, I'll write a novel that will make it exciting and fun to read, but still have the message that women can take it into their own hands and get out of abuse. So, but thinking you'll write a novel is like saying, Um, well, they stood up in the eighth grade when I played the piano, so I'll write a symphony. So anyway, it took me seven years and seven edits and learning how to write and all those things to write a novel, uh, and I did. So that's what, and then then I've just become so impassioned when you meet women and you talk to women and you see what people go through, um, that that's why. Yes, absolutely. And the book is extremely well written. You did a wonderful job. I'm currently on Chapter 13. It's very compelling, and later in the show we'll discuss uh, how you put the book together and about the uh, major characters in the book. Uh, But I wanted to touch on uh, a lot of what I said in the introduction um, about the role women play in today's society. With regard to women's issues around the world and the incidents that I mentioned in other countries, um, what have you witnessed in the societies you studied, and what can we learn from the experience? Well, that 
we have a Other wonderful than- thing in America, in America, in that it's not in the system. You know, it, we people think it's wrong to beat a woman. You know, they think it's wrong. Some societies, they don't think it's wrong, right? I mean, you right. can just, if your wife does something wrong, you can just beat her and that's fine. And even the women think it's fine. You know, so that, that enculturation from when children are small, that women are less than, that's the horrible thing. Here in America, we can, there are plenty of reasons to stay in abusive relationships, like the children and money, and, but, there, but there are plenty of people that would support you to get out. And I think that's mm. one thing I found. We're lucky in America in that way. Yes. I do feel that there's, because of the lack of consequences, it just perpetuates the attitude that women are less than men, that they shouldn't have certain rights. I mean, just the idea of the story you told of being nailed to a wall by your hair. Yes. Being mm-hmm. belittled in front of your children. And um, in a little bit, I'll, I'll talk about that specific scenario, about what children witness. Um, if it's any consolation to you, I did read a story um, it's, I don't want to make light of it because I don't like the idea of violence against anyone, you know, men or women. But I did read a story about, um, in another country, I believe it was India, uh, but a man tried to rape a woman in public, and people around witnessed this and went after him, grabbed him, drug him into a butcher shop, and, castrate, <laughs> and castrated him completely of all uh-huh. genitalia and right. I I don't I don't know that the if the man bled to death or whatever and and I don't like the idea of violence because violence begets violence but I think that sends a strong message that you know people and 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 they will if given a chance so that's an interesting turn of events um what about the mistreatment of women in the United States what are the most prevalent women's issues in society today well, you want to talk about equal pay? You want to talk about the uh, average woman makes one half of a million dollars less because we get 78 cents to every dollar? I mean, wouldn't it empower us a lot more if we had more money and didn't make up like 40% of the poor because we're single women, because we're we're left with uh, children and no alimony? and So equal pay for equal work is a very important empowering thing. How yeah. about that we only have five women senators, you know, and and there are 24 states, I mean, five women, um, that's also senators, but I meant um, governors in the Mm -hmm. United States, and that uh, 24 states have never even had a female governor. And the University of, um, American University just did a study asking, uh, did you ever consider government uh, uh, or running for office? And two-thirds of women said they never even considered that so we have to start letting our girls know that they can get into politics and that we used to play uh, nurse when I was a girl and then they played doctor and now half of our students in medical schools are women so why don't we play governor with our girls so that we can give them aspirations to go into the seats of power and and to be able to forward women's issues of equality and justice I like that idea I like that we have the opportunity to teach the youth today, children and adolescents and college-age students, that you can be what you, whatever you want to be. We we now have our first African-American president, 
and I know that's right. very inspiring to um, yep. the to communities of color. And mm-hmm. we, but we have to keep going and transfer that as well onto women that you can have aspirations, whether you want to be an astronaut, a doctor, president, governor. But we need people in there who reflect our values and our beliefs and affect change because there's strength in numbers. So you're right. We need to get more female governors, more women in key um, key appointments where it's traditionally men. And it's like any other thing, as with voting. It was traditionally men. Women didn't vote, but then they fought for it and they got it. If we fight just as hard today for this, we will get it. We just need to inspire and empower women to mm-hmm. do that. And unite. Pre- unite. Absolutely. And it has to be united, like I said, as long as we're fragmented and complacent. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yep. you know, and I was I was excited, you know, with regard to equal pay. I want to focus on that for a few minutes. Um, I would think that the Lilly Ledbetter Act would have sparked continual press on women's issues, and yet the whole – idea was overshadowed by lesser topics like birth certificates. You know, right. it's mm-hmm. ridiculous. What what progress have you seen, if any, with regard to equal pay? Like, the, Have you seen any evidence that the Lilly Ledbetter Act is working? Because I remember years ago they passed the Anti-Spam Act. They convicted one person, and I haven't heard anything about it since. Right. Well, there's another act, the Paycheck Fairness Act, which is rather the which is the one really that we would like to get in because um, it says that a woman, for example, can ask a uh, another colleague what he makes. Now, some contracts, you know, employers have contracts that say, okay, we'll hire you, we'll give you the salary, but you have to keep it confidential. You cannot tell anybody else. That's one way they keep from having to pay women what they pay men. Okay. So, now it's okay to do that. It's also okay by the Paycheck Fairness Act for uh, uh, employers not to be able to fire them or you know or have do bad things to people that find out. Then if the person if the woman goes to her employee, employer and tries to get equal pay and doesn't get it, she's now allowed to go to court, right? Well, yes. the opposition to it seems to be all about the fact that women would have teeth, that they would be able to go to court. Now, Barbara Mikulski, who is, Mikulski, who is the um, uh, Democratic senator from Delaware, um, mm-hmm. uh, is the one who introduced it, and she uh, said, well, if uh, they're so concerned, the opposition is so concerned about the fact that a woman could sue and says that it would in, empower uh, lawyers, as though that's a reason. I mean, it empowers the woman, right? And I wrote a blog for the Huffington Post about this because it, because it's so egregious. And I want women to read the law because the law is not an out far out law. And uh, and what Mikulski said anyway was that uh, if if men or if employers, excuse me, were playing just wages, the woman wouldn't be going to court. So the way to avoid suits is merely to to do the law right and, and pay women equal pay. So, um, but I, I do think women need to read. You know, we're kind of used to our husbands going out in the world in the days when women couldn't read and weren't schooled. The husbands went out to the world, came home, and told you their opinion about the world, and then women had the same opinion. Well, that time has passed. Don't let 
Don't let people on the radio or on the TV say, oh, this is a horrible act and this is what's wrong with it, unless you've read the act yourself. Exactly. And it's just it's disheartening to me that people can allow themselves to be spoon-fed opinions instead of doing the research that they need to do. And I mean, mm-hmm. some, women, some women are a little better equipped to confront um, issues and confront people or employers. Um, in, for instance, a friend of mine um, about 10 years ago accepted a position at a very well-known mortgage company. I, I think they've since they were raided by the FBI and closed. But she accepted <laughs> a position there. Well, and, and I know this because she's the one who initiated it. Anyway, uh, this <laughs> is what got this is what got her her this is what sparked her anger. She accepted okay. the position. They offered her forty thousand dollars a year, which was acceptable to her to take this position. Okay. First day on the job, she's getting her desk her desk situated, putting her personal belongings in, setting things up, and in one of the drawers, she found the acceptance letter of her predecessor in the drawer. Uh-huh. And the letter, oh my God, I'm, I'm, it's like it chokes me up. That man was paid sixty thousand dollars a wow. year for the position, and they offered her the twenty. Same position. Same position. Right. Twenty thousand dollar difference. Wow. Needless to say, well, well, she was livid. I'm still well, mad after about the war, it. I, well, yeah, after the war, they had uh, the the men could come back and take back the jobs from women from the war, but then they would the uh, the employers lowered lowered the pay for the women's position, and there were ads in the papers with the same job side by side, and if the men had it, the salary was higher, and if the women had it, the salary was lower, and the excuse was that women just use their money for extras, and the husbands had to, um, uh, you know, support the household. That was the excuse, as though that would be a reason for not giving people right. equal pay. But nowadays, 40%, 40% of households are headed by women in the United States. Yes, I've been on my own since I was in my uh, teens. I've been on my uh-huh. own a long time, and up until 10 years ago, there was nobody. There was no husband bringing home money. Uh-huh. You know, right. it's all up to me, and it, uh-huh. you know it's ridiculous the attitude. Like, what do you mean you want to raise? Who do you think you are? Um, I mm-hmm. got a lot of who do you think you are that mm-hmm. yes, I felt I should right. make money that was commensurate with my experience or my abilities or my talent. I have a lot of talent. I should be paid, but I I had but to women really aren't used fight to hard. Mm-hmm. Women aren't but used also, to that. Women want to get loved instead of have power. Exactly. They want to have the employer like them. I don't know if you read that book, Lean In, but in it she says one thing she found uh, by the lady that's, uh, what's her name? Sandberg. Yeah, I think her name is Sandberg. She's like the second in command at Facebook or at one of those places. Anyway, but her big thing was that they did a study and uh, the women out of graduate school in, in business, all of them just took the salary that was offered them. Whereas like, I don't remember what, but two-thirds of the men asked for more. The women didn't even think of asking for more. Mm. You know, we just, we just kind of grateful people are going to give us a job. And, and if we can make it nice and, and the boss is nice to us, in my book mm-hmm. I have one of the ladies is like that. She runs the whole company, and the boss always says, oh, you're so good at what you do, I have to put somebody in as the big boss because I couldn't lose you on what you do. You know, we, we kind of are easily seduced by people saying, oh, well, 
just do it for the love of the company or because everybody loves you here, you know, instead of I want a decent wage. Mm-mm-mm. Speaking of, I live in Florida. I'm, I broadcast uh-huh. from Orlando, Florida. And just to say that before I moved here, uh, I had an excellent resume, an excellent work right. history, mostly middle management to upper management positions. And right. since I moved to Florida, uh, it's been amazing how, because I noticed it's, it's it's not just women, there's a geographical bias. Uh, I once was sitting outside of an office, and I guess the interviewer went in to speak to the supervisor, but neglected to close the door all the way. And I heard her <laughs> say to him, uh, whatever, she started asking a question, and his voice was louder, so I heard it. And it carried, and what he said was, no, she's going to want money. Then I heard, well, what do you want me to do then? He said, make up something. Just get rid of her. Wow. I was wow. livid. Yes. So what they do uh, in certain parts of the country, I shouldn't isolate it just to hear, but they do try to pay women less. Um, and yes. I think there's there's a certain desperation they're trying to tap into because they know they're probably a single mother. So they try to give them less money for that, or they keep it part-time so they don't have to offer health insurance. And it it just goes around and around. But now I've been subjected to that, and now my resume is trash. So unless, you know, you have the ability to start a business like I have, um, I actually have more than one, but unless you have the skills to do that, you're stuck. And mm-hmm. and this keeps well, perpetuating. Yeah. So what we need to do is exercise our right to vote that so many women fought for, get women into um, those positions of power, and turn turn these things around. Single mothers should be exalted, not you know criminalized for for wanting or needing money for their families. That's just bizarre. But let's let's take a look at the differences in abuse. There's cultural abuse. Um, we've mentioned domestic violence and abuse of that nature, even if it's implied, um, implied threat, um, doesn't have to be physical and be mental and emotional. And as a psychologist, you would certainly be well versed on that. But there, I have to point out that a lot of the, um, mistreatment of women, like we're talking about in the workplace or even in society is a reflection of some of the mistreatment that women were subjected to in religions in the the religious sector. So I want to touch on that. Um, there's there's yes. situations here, there's situations around the world. I was, you know, I, I started out as Catholic, um, but I'm, I'm a recovering Catholic now. And mm-hmm, I, I, I broke outside of, of don't tell me what to think when I feel strongly, you know, so differently. But, you know, women in religion were, a lot of them were taught, as I read, go to church with your husband. But if you have any questions, you don't ask the priest. You wait till you get home and you ask your husband. And, and you had touched on that. Like you just, you, the man goes out into the world, creates his worldview, and then spoon feeds that to you. Um, there's polygamy in the country, which I think, I believe in live and let live. Um, I also mm-hmm. believe that I won't be told how to live, who I can marry or what I can do with my body. But I, mm-hmm. it, it frustrates me that there are people saying that, um, I'll, I'll point to the LGBT community, that they are damaging the institution of marriage 
uh, when the divorce rate is at over 50% and it's not um, homosexuals who are impacting that, it's heterosexuals who are impacting that divorce rate. So I don't know what anybody's talking about. If they just look at the money that can be made by allowing people to marry who they want to marry, look at what they can do for event planners, florists, and then finally lawyers. Because like my friend that says, let them be equally miserable with us and get married. And just as miserable as the rest of the country. <laughs> you know. And, and I like I like to say outrageous things, and I, I try to come up with a radical view that makes someone sit up and go, what? That's crazy. So what I came up with is if gay people can't get married, then heterosexual people shouldn't be allowed to get divorced. Because that's what's really damaging the institution of marriage. But when we look at yeah, this polygamy right. situation, I know you have some thoughts on that. What what are your thoughts? Because I think it's, well, it's I think, so disempowering. I, I can't believe that there is any religion where God said that one of his creatures is less than the other. So any religion where a man is trying to tell me that a woman should be subservient to men, women women can't think straight, men, men have to be the center of the universe and be the priests and tell people what to do, I I can't believe that. I, I hear that the Mormon church is now having uh, some problems because they just came out that, that John Smith had, uh, what, 4,000 wives or something, uh, 40, 40 wives, I'm sorry, had 40 wives, and uh, that isn't too good. And not only that, but I guess some of them he took that were already married to other people. The men don't like that because they consider women property. But the women, I guess that the teaching of the Mormon church is that if a man marries and then he's supposed to, that marriage goes into heaven, right? But then if your wife dies and he remarries, uh, he now is, quote, sealed to those two women. So in the afterlife, he has two wives. But if a woman marries one husband and he dies and she marries another, she can't have both of them. She who'd want them anyway, but she... Uh, can only have the first one. So it's like, wait a second, what God said that you would have a different, I mean, I mean, I mean it's kind of a silly thing when you think about it. Uh, mm-hmm. And I know it's going to be a crisis of faith for a lot of women uh, uh, wondering why they're unequal in the face of God. And you can't imagine that God would make two creatures to human beings that were less than another because they were a color or a sex or a orientation. It, it doesn't make sense. The nuns used to always say, God is always better and wiser than us. And so if you think God wouldn't be that dumb. So anyway, yeah, I, I totally I agree. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I just, it, it, it's bizarre to me that, that people, I, I think they seem unwilling to really embrace their own power. I think, I think it, it's a battle of ego that men are addicted to power and women see power as out of reach. But if we really just take a look in the mirror and embrace the power that is inherent that God gave us, you know, right. just in creating us, God gave us this power. We've allowed society to um, take it out of our hands and we relinquish it, and that makes it all the harder to reclaim it and embrace it and fortify that but just to be on the lighter side look at how powerful the female body is we have the power to bring people into this world we populate this planet number one definitely. that should be recognized and there should be benefits for that number two definitely. we bleed inexplicably inexplicably once a month we bleed and bleed and bleed and we never die 
If that's right. not power, <laughs> Good that's point. power. You know what Very I mean? And, and and it needs to be recognized. And and how people can deny women equal pay or or mistreat women, despite what you've witnessed. I grew up in a violent household. I don't raise my hands to people because that's who I choose to be. People need to really right. um, decide who they want to be. But, um, yeah, I, I I could go off on a tangent. What would you like to add to that, Dr. Laura? Well, I agree with that Is in that yeah, uh, I used to say I had a friend, and I used to say to her, she passed away. But anyway, she uh, – and I would say, oh, well, this poor person has this and that and the other reason. And he, she said – he could change. She could change. You know, just because I was brought up speaking Chinese doesn't mean when I go to another country I can't learn English. You know what I mean? So I can learn other behaviors. I don't have to beat my wife because my father beat my mother. You know, I can. I can. That's what you're saying that people can change, and and women shouldn't accept. When you talk about when you talk about abuse in the United States, I think there's a subtle abuse, uh, not just the big kind, but the kind that undermine a woman's self-esteem, a kind yep. that since we're so obsessed with looks, a man that would say, oh, you're a little fat, aren't you? Or, uh, <laughs> you know, you don't really know much about that. Or, I love you a lot, but you kind of jiggle when you, you know, insulting, horrible, non-affirming things to their wives, you know. And, and the wife doesn't know, should I make a, should I make a big deal out of this little thing when I'm so hurt? But pretty soon they end up not wanting to go out because they're afraid they'll say the wrong thing or not look good, and and yeah. so the man takes the sucks the uh, sucks the spirit out of the woman. Mhm. There are some good men out there. I I know there Very are. Very good but, men. But there's so many um, that I it's, uh, so many stories are swimming around in my head. I was a guest on another radio show just recently, and the topic of the conversation was um, about our relationship with life and how to have a happy and peaceful relationship with life and how life is comprised of all these other relationships. First, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with God, and then food, sex, and that kind of thing. So that was the topic of the show. And I spent considerable time preparing for it. But this man calls in and he's talking about dating. I was not talking about dating. I was talking about relationships and with energetic relationships with ourselves and the things in our lives. And he went on to say, and my face turned red. I was so angry. He went on to say, no, women should be sheer to their power like sheep and all these horrible things. And I I refuse to address the man. Sheer, they should be sheared of their power like sheep because when I go to a bar, I want to be able to walk up and talk to a woman and not have to play her game. I was like, this is not what the show is about, so I'm not even going to respond. Ridiculous. Oh. Well, maybe you should have told him that men should be treated like sheep and gelded. <laughs> exactly. No, I wouldn't feed into that because I teach about the ego. Um, yeah. And No, I know is, you wouldn't, but I mean, it's it's, it's horrible. Right. When you hear a man yep. say, and they believe it. They believe it, too, that a woman shouldn't be uppity or a, a worse thing she could be is besides having leprosy and the plague, she could also be a feminist. <laughs> that would be the worst. Right. right. Worst. So in in addition to the incidental instances um of abuse like like the equal pay, the uh sexual harassment in the workplace. These things aren't generally condoned by society. 
but I do think they're tolerated to a certain degree. You have to fight even harder to in those situations. You have to have evidence. You have to have proof, and it takes a long time to win those battles. But we also talked about and the, the culture. Studies- about mm-hmm. about your um, about your resume, the studies show that if you had just put your initial and not your first name, you would have gotten accepted. Because and papers in uh, in school, they've done they've handed in the very same essays with with a woman's name or a man's name, and the woman's and the woman's got dinged much harder than the men's. So there's oh. a bias just in just in the names on a resume, and they mm-hmm. send in the same resume but with you know two different names at the top. And so that the bias is so deep, uh, that white male bias. It, it is. It is white male bias, and it's it's disheartening when women pick up that baton and continue it because there was another um, situation where I was interviewing. It was for a chamber of commerce. They needed someone to manage it. So I was interviewing with it, and at the time I was managing a hotel, and in my two days off, I was putting in an additional 30-plus hours helping a small business get off the ground by setting up all the processes, all the departments. Wow. I was doing 80-plus wow. hours a week wow. doing this. Mm-hmm. And the woman, the HR manager, was one of those very stiff women, looks at my resume, looks me in the yeah. eye and says, it, it just seems to me you just don't want to work. Oh, my God. And the other women at the table, their jaws oh. dropped, and, and you could see it in their eyes. They were horrified, and they were like, it felt like they were thinking, but we like her. We want her to come work with us, and she just ripped me to shreds. Oh, my gosh. And it must have been over the money. I don't know. Perhaps my resume was intimidating to her personally because, you know, ego does get involved. But that's another situation where... You know the way people twist things around on you—it's—it's it's just bizarre. But there, let's. There's so much more to talk about, and I want to hit on as much as we can. Are you okay, or would you like to take a break? I'm fine. <laughs> okay. Okay. One question I have for you, Doctor Laura. I—we—I I wanted to touch on this. We mentioned it briefly. I believe that societal attitudes begin at home. And I wanted yes. to talk about the impact that parenting has on the emotional development of women who grow up feeling disempowered and men who feel women are far less equal than they are, like the gentleman I just described on that radio program. As a psychologist, what are some of the things for people to avoid raising uh, a woman who feels that subservience is necessary and men who feel that it's it's their right to demand? Okay. Look very carefully because I think it does start at home. Look very carefully at your verbalizations to your children. Uh, don't always say, oh, you look so pretty every time you see a girl. Oh, your dress is so pretty. You look so pretty. Uh, and boys, how are you doing in football? What are you doing here or there? What activities are you doing, right? Don't settle that girls are just supposed to look a certain way and boys are supposed to be doing things. Um, also, do you allow in your house your uh, your husband to be in the other room saying to his son, look at those on that woman, you know, mm-hmm. on that cheerleader, look at those or this, and objectifying women with uh, sexual comments and teaching the boy how to look at women not as a person but as a sexual object. Uh, and um, uh, notice uh, notice the difference that you Always encourage women to do things. Don't have them scared. 
don't don't put more fear. Fear is what holds people back. You want to live life fearlessly, you know, not not with it saying, oh, if I do this, this terrible things might happen. So let the girls be just as fearless as the boys. Uh, you can climb a tree just as well if you're a girl or a boy. Uh, yeah. Don't always get the girl the idea that she needs to be, quote, protected from things, that her vagina needs to be protected, that her daddy is worried about her going out in the world more mm-hmm. than he's worried about his son going out in the world, like she can't handle herself. Um, mm-hmm. Always insist that your husband respect you in front of your children or any time, but, I mean, never let him call you a name or, of course, hit you in any way. Uh, and people say, oh, well, I put up with X, let's just say. I put up with my husband uh, saying I'm fat, say, and I don't like it. Um, well, okay, where would you stop? Where would you not put up with something? You know, uh, there's always a limit, and you're just setting your limit too too high, right? You say, well, he's a good man, and so he drinks, and so when he drinks, don't make excuses for, for bad behavior. But with the children, it's very important to to set the same achievement standards uh, for the boys as the girls, uh, to treat them Think really carefully about what you say. Oh, I saw a thing in a park. I saw uh, there was a uh, father, it probably was his weekend with a child, and about a four-year-old boy, and he was climbing around on the jungle gym, and the father comes up, and he says, uh, how much longer do you think you're going to be? And he, the kid's about four years old, right? kid has no idea. So the father says, oh about God. 15 minutes. How about 15 minutes? And the kid nods, and so he goes back, goes over and he gets out his computer and he's sitting there uh, on his tablet. And then about five minutes, the kid comes over and the father says, oh, already? I thought you said 15 minutes. <laughs> and I thought, how sad for this child. A, number one, that the father is asking the opinion of a four-year-old, right, would make him seem like he's the center of the universe and he should know. And mm-hmm. then the kid gets the idea that he can boss around a 30-year-old, right? And so the kid is going to end up thinking he's the boss of the universe. And right. I think sometimes with with that isn't done a lot with girls. Sometimes it's done more with boys. But but be careful of that. I think nowadays we're getting a society where children want to be the center, think they have to be the center of the universe. And and then when they're out in the world and they're not, they get very disappointed. You know, I think anyway, any parent's mm-hmm. role is to build a functioning adult. And we in need the to real build world. character in the real world, yes. And we need to build character, and they need to know there are consequences to their actions. They need to know how to make good decisions because real men and women make decisions that have a positive impact on themselves and the people around them, not negative impact. One thing I did because um, mostly through my childhood we were left to our own devices. Um, so as I got older, I you know when I was sixteen I started buying. Uh, things for an apartment, like dishes and silverware and things uh-huh. like just just preparing uh-huh, nice. for my freedom, you know. But you then I said, nest. "Well, uh-huh. exactly." And it, it it was it gave me hope. But what I also did was in my because I, I strive to be independent and didn't want to be dependent on anybody. So I made mm-hmm. sure that I learned how to drive stick shift. I made sure Good. I don't I don't like guns. I don't want to own a gun. But if I'm ever yeah. in a situation where a gun is involved, I know how to use it. Good. 
Uh-huh. I'm not a hundred percent afraid of it. I have a healthy respect for it, and I know how to use it, and I'm a pretty good shot. Um, I my mother was <laughs> a seamstress. Well, I grew up in South Philly. You have to. Um, <laughs> my mother mm-hmm. was a seamstress, and I and I took it upon myself to learn as much as I could from her, so that I wouldn't be at a loss if a button fell off. You know what I mean? Just certain yep. things that were that contributed Excellent. to my independence. And I made sure I got that high school diploma, and I made sure that I set the platform to be a successful adult without a record. (laughs) You know, I never got into trouble. I stayed away from things that led to trouble because I believe that when you ask for trouble, you get it. So if you're going to dabble in drugs, something bad is going to happen. Um, Unexpected pregnancies, you know, are very difficult, but I made sure that didn't happen. But I think I think people, some people are better equipped to be parents than others, but at least do your best to build a functioning adult who is decidedly decidedly lacking in prejudices. I, the whole idea of prejudice is, you know, it's so old, it's so last century, we really have to do away with it. But I, I wanted to move on to the media. Um, media if I can is just say something, if sure. I can just say one thing, Charlotte, about you, you can see that you had a little rod inside of you, a rod of self-esteem. Someone someone had taught you that you could prepare for the future, that you did have the ability to plan and look forward and say, if I knew about being a seamstress, that would be a good thing. If I put away these things for the future, that would be a good thing. You already, when you were that young girl, had a self-esteem. You already thought you were good. People had not brought you up. You're a slut. You're worthless. You're useless. You know, you hadn't heard all those negative messages. So you had that ability, and and and, and you've kept it all your life because it's it's there, and then when you use it, it works, right? So, But when people don't know what to do and they're all insulted and put down, it, it's so hard for them to pick up themselves. Anyway, I just wanted well, to say that. Actually... Actually, that was the case. Um, I didn't fit in anywhere. I didn't fit in at school. I didn't fit in at home. Uh, my father uh-huh. was a parent schizophrenic. He was extremely abusive uh, on a variety of levels. And it, it's like daily slow torture going through that. But the day I heard, I think I was in first or second grade, where I was like, well, how long do I have to do this? And they said, well, you get to 12th grade, and then you graduate, and then you're a grown-up. <laughs> That I was like, oh, uh-huh. really? That's where I got the idea. So I made sure <laughs> that I got my education. Um, uh-huh. I'm only one. I'm only one out of five children. With actually, out of the total number in the family is seven. I'm the only one out of seven people in my immediate family with a high school diploma because I knew that that would be my ticket to self-esteem Wonderful. and success. So there is something. There was something in me. You're right. That rod. Mm-hmm. But I think the electricity traveling down that rod was God. And well, you were the what we call the rose on the dung pile. I, there are children that are the rose on the dung pile. And it's a shame, um, but the truth is there were certain instances in my life where God intervened or Jesus, um, very specific experiences, which, you know, are appropriate for another time. And the audience has heard a few of them. But there were instances where I was, uh, given messages like it'll be okay, you know. So I just wonderful. Oh, you are given I, reassurance. I I, I seriously you are given was spiritual reassurance uh-huh. in very otherworldly uh, ways. So that's what um, really put me where I am today. That but I thank you for your acknowledgement 
Um, I, I know you don't know a lot about me, but I, I, I needed people to know that you can choose who you want to be. And you don't have to imitate your parents, and you don't have to do the exact opposite, but you can create a healthy balance just in choosing who you are. But with regard to the media, it's it's so powerfully persuasive, and I limit the amount of uh, exposure I have to news and things of that nature. I prefer to research, but it can be very persuasive to impressionable people, especially to those not accustomed to thinking for themselves or who believe that what they hear is true without adequately researching the issues. Um, can you describe for us um, the roles today's media does and does not play in addressing gender-related injustices? Do you have specific examples of that? No, I don't have specific examples, but I think that we can all see it. We can see it in advertising, right? You don't see some uh, ugly girl you know, or some girl that isn't all made up to the nines or with her boobs sticking out that's advertising things. All those things say what is good about her woman is her appearance, right? Um, you don't have a lot of coverage of uh, uh, chess championships or space championships or uh, things where girls and, and men are doing things that are more constructive. You can ask anybody... Uh, I had a t I was talking to some kids the other day. They didn't know anything about Pearl Harbor. They didn't know who fought in the Civil War. They they did know who, uh, uh, let's see, Brad Pitt had, about how many kids he had adopted. They knew all about the cinema. They knew all about the movies and about clothes. Um, I think the idea of women having being known for their sexuality, which is relative to men, instead of their achievements, is very high on, on the um, uh, media's yeah. you know, analysis. And okay. when you hear, you'll hear the host talk about some woman, a feminist, and she was ugly. It's always the feminists are ugly, and when they're not ugly, they don't know what to say. So, anyway. Huh. That's, you know, if, if, if that is the case, then I think that's up to that person's personal level of, uh, self-esteem and their, and their own self-concept, but I don't I don't want to say, well that person's not very attractive, so I don't I don't want to listen to what they have to say. I think everybody should be heard. Um, but with regard to abuse, why do you think the ongoing rampant abuse of women throughout the world gets so little media attention in the United States? Why is this not drummed into our heads these these important issues? Well, you see what happened with Anita, when Anita Sarkeesian came out about the depiction of women in the violence on the side of some video games. And yes, she was I love threatened. Her. I love mm -hmm. her too. And if you love look at her. her two videos, you'd just want to vomit, you know, because you can't believe that, that men can be, uh, you know, raping women, beating up women. I'm just writing a book. I'm writing a second book. And mm -hmm. uh, I'm having the kid recite some of these horrible things they say in that media and uh, uh, because when women do complain uh, about something that's that horrible, it's considered so much a part of the culture that you're just supposed to forget it. It's supposed to be not important. Just accept that. Like you mm -hmm. say, if, if men were being castrated on the side of those little adventures, it probably would be a different thing. Absolutely. There, and there would be a different way to, to get a mammogram if men had to go through something painful like that. 
and there wouldn't be 4,000 rape kits still unopened in the United States that people exactly. that got raped years ago. Uh-huh. How's that? Yeah. It's like I said earlier, it's the lack of consequences. That mm-hmm. Absolutely. They, there's, there's no vice grip on these issues because there are no consequences for most people. And I do see a trend <laughs> where if, if someone is accused of a crime and if they show any sign of being nice, which is um, translated right. as weakness, they get convicted of a crime. Mm-hmm. Some kid just got out of jail. He was in jail for three years because someone said he stole a backpack and there was no backpack. He was on his way home from a party. The people, the, wow. the police said, well, just come down to the station. And they kept him for three years. He never got a trial. He missed oh my his God. graduation. I was in tears watching oh. this. Oh, oh, yeah. He didn't do anything. And eventually they just let him go after three years in jail, after he was beaten and abused in jail. Oh. It's just terrible. I mean, we really, the system isn't working. It's broken. And we need to revamp it. But to stick, And we're stick hoping to that women can do it. But they're going to have to. Who else is going to – no, women have to do it. Um, with regard to the abuse of women in the U.S. and in less socially developed areas of the world, what similarities and contrasts have you discovered? Well, I think the main the main one is that we won't have it in our system. Now, we're not as good as the Norwegians and the Scandinavians. When they really accept women as more as an equal, we mm-hmm. still don't have that. I think there's still – we we are called too sexual a country. Like the Europeans think we're very adolescent, that we're so concerned with sex, mm-hmm. you know, that uh, everything is about sex. And other countries are past that in a way. Yeah. And, and they don't have to be saying all the time, like some adolescent kid, you know, oh, look, I got another girl. You know, I got another girl. I got another girl. You know, they don't have to be uh-huh. counting and looking and thinking their worth is because of that. And... um so in America, and I do think when you're talking about uh, the men, that men maybe are jealous of women and their ability to have children, I also think that I'm also writing a blog for having him poach about what I call Ginny power, which is vagina power, because okay. I think men are very jealous, jealous of the power we have over them, right? Men do go nuts, you know, when when they get uh, what's under their thigh, you know, stimulated. Yeah. When, and, they, uh, when they let their bodies rule their mind, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so women have power, and men don't like that. Men don't like the fact that they – so that's one reason I think they say that women are weak and puny is because they really know that underneath women can get them to do just about anything they want with that Ginny power. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Unbelievable. What is the one thing the average person today can do to start um, – helping to prevent abuse what can what can the average person do well the average woman can bond with other women don't listen to the propaganda like that oh women can't get along in an office uh you know they're all catty and they're all clawing at each other that is so baloney for throughout history women have helped each other if i died in childbirth you nursed my baby if uh, i was sick you took care of my children Women were always together when the men were off hunting. The women were always together supporting each other. This idea that women must compete with each other is a Uh sickening idea, and it's wrong. And then we have to celebrate the good men. There are many good men in the world that believe in women's equality and that treat their sisters, uh, you know, and were brought up to treat their sisters and their mothers with respect. In some cultures, 
if you say my mother, you see that's a, a duel to the death, right? They mm-hmm. will protect their 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 family. So mm-hmm. uh, the the idea that women and well, women just shouldn't be allow themselves to be second. They shouldn't. They shouldn't be in religions where say they're lower, or or in cultures that say they're lower, or where the whole store is women and just the the supervisors are men. How does that work? Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Well, how about on a large scale, combating abuse on a larger scale? What's the biggest challenge about that? On a large scale. Yeah. Well. <laughs> we're gonna Would have trouble with. <laughs> Would you say it's like a pyramid effect where first we have to bond with women on that on that first level and then go to the next level and bond um, with women who are in uh, positions of influence and then just snowball it? Would, do you think that would be a good plan? Well, I think Until I don't we, see that we can do it from the top because we're not at the top. We have to start at the bottom just like when right. the women fought for, you know, for voting and they fought for birth control. And yeah, well, that's another thing where men are trying to control our bodies with birth, with uh, the whole abortion issue, you know. And uh, I was just thinking today about, you know, and the, the Pope has always said that that uh, uh, intercourse is for procreation. And I was thinking about that. The ovary only puts down her protective coat thin enough for a, a, a sperm to get in for from mm-hmm. 12 to 24 hours a month. That's all. In a month, okay. there's only one day when she's fertile. So the other 30 days, or 29, uh, it's only for pleasure. <laughs> so how can you say that the 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 main purpose of intercourse is to have a baby when it's only one out of 30 chance that you'd have a baby? The, yeah, the purpose no. must be for pleasure. <laughs> it's ridiculous. No. Sex is a gift from God. Unbelievable. Right. <laughs> you know, right. let's talk about... Um, I want to give the listeners some resources. According to the National Domestic Violence Hotline, on average, 24 people per minute are victims of rape, physical violence, or stalking by an intimate partner in the U.S., more than 12 million women and men over the course of a year. What's your reaction to those numbers? That they're true, and I think they're underreported, actually. I think a lot of women do not tell when they've been raped, and they can be raped by their husbands. I don't. They, yep. They're on a date rape. Many women blame themselves. They yep. think I was wearing this or I was doing that. So I think it's very underreported violence against women. Very, and like you said, there's rape kits, rape kits sitting on a shelf, not not doing anything. When they can do so much with DNA now, where they couldn't do yes. that in the 70s, of there course. really should be no excuse. There should be no, no excuse for children being missing. And nope. I just think a lot of what the the tragedy that we see in the world can be prevented if people just put certain laws into place and enforce them with consequences. Um, uh-huh. And child support, men have to, more than half of men don't pay one penny of child support. But you have to exactly. pay, you know, if you have children, you've got to pay for them. You can't just walk away. Here's my radical idea on that one. I, I think you'll like this one, Good. too. I love those shows on DNA that, that where who's the daddy. I, oh yeah, <laughs> I love those shows, and and I I not that I want to put anybody out of business, and <laughs> I think that if you are going to have a child, whether yep. it's worked into your insurance, 
Um, and no, your employer should not ha even have a say in this. They shouldn't have a say in whether you take birth control, what kind you take. But if you have a baby, I don't think anybody should be able to take the baby home without a DNA test to confirm that the two people presented are that you, you need mm -hmm. to have both biological parents in there DNA tested, confirmed, and signed on the birth certificate. Whether that child is, is intended to be put up for adoption, that is your personal choice. But that child should know who their biological parents are. Every child should be confirmed offspring of these two people. And Because there, there's so many hurting people out there who don't know who their fathers are. It breaks my so heart. I'd go, I'd go a step farther. I'd go that, a step farther. It would also be deb debited from their paycheck forever. Absolutely. You you wouldn't be able to get away because the baby, right. you can't have this baby until you present the father and they need to go get that get that person and say, you created this child and you're responsible for it financially mm -hmm. at a minimum. You know, morally, mm -hmm. we probably can't help you with that. But I think that would eliminate the need for people to walk around wondering who they are and and mm -hmm. that single parents, not just women, but single parents, because mm -hmm. I know several single fathers. Um, get the support right. that they need. Um, but with getting back to the National Domestic Violence Hotline, I wanted to give everybody some information. Do not allow yourself to be a victim, and do not allow your neighbors, friends, don't allow them to be victims either. Visit the website at thehotline.org or call the hotline if you see or are experiencing any type of abuse or stalking at 1-800-799-7233. If you're tuning into the show using your computer and if you are afraid your computer usage being is, is being monitored call the hotline that number again is 800-799-7233 don't do something about this by not doing anything you're condoning it um yeah there are there are, there are so many things um to talk about with regard to this um, we could probably do a whole other segment. But I'd like to talk about your book and go to lighter. Well, this is not going to be too much lighter because the book is rather intense. Um, you told us what inspired you to write this book, but you also mentioned to me previously that you wanted it to be lendable. You wanted women or people to be able to share this with others. Yes, because I think that one way, maybe you have a friend that won't admit to herself even how abused she is, but in this book, it has a lot of different kinds of abuse, uh, not only the ones of the three heroines, but the ones that they see that they come across in their in their mm -hmm. adventures. Um, so it, um, a woman might think, gee, I never really realized. In fact, one of them is a, a man that's making his woman uh, fat because he's so jealous that he doesn't want her to go out of the house. So he continues to feed her until she's fat enough and says that she, says she, never can, she can barely move. And he likes that, that ability to, uh, and I've had patients like that where the, where the man is, he wants the woman at home because he is so uh, afraid of her going off with another man in the world. Insecure. So, yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah. um, uh, I was hoping that the book would be, uh, it's, it's got heavy paper and larger type, and it's a, it's a lendable book so sisters can lend it to each other. Okay, mm -hmm. awesome. Well, let's talk about the characters. We have three main characters. We have Samara, who is a famous storyteller, and she goes on to create, she's in a, a tough situation, but she creates Secret Sisters, an underground society that shelters battered women in the Middle East. 
She's hunted for her beliefs and stalked for her beauty. Um, tell us a little bit about Samara and how she created the Secret Sister Society. Okay, well, she was an uneducated uh, Middle Eastern woman, and uh, then she found out one time when she had a beloved grandfather, and he was going over his stories about when he was in the diplomatic corps. And one day when she was around 10, he forgot the story in the middle of the story. And she, not knowing what to do, just picked up the story and finished mm-hmm. it to the end. And he realized he had this ability, uh, this uncanny ability to remember stories. So now she's married an archaeologist and she's very wealthy. She goes all around the world. But she founded the Secret Sister Society. Now later in the book, and it goes with what you believe in, she has a dream. She has a dream where Allah tells her to start a woman's jihad against abuse. Well, so, of course, she doesn't believe that because God, you know, Allah doesn't talk to women. Women don't start jihads. But then things happen in the book that she starts to think Allah did appear to her. I mean, not appear. Allah doesn't appear. You only hear his voice. Um, Mm -hmm. and, And so she has to figure out how to have a jihad a woman's jihad against abusers, so they're afraid when they try to abuse someone. So you'll see how she figures that out. You haven't gotten there yet in the book. No, no, but I'm looking forward to it. It's very compelling. I love the story and I love the characters. Now, (laughs) Samara's destiny is changed forever by the next character, Thelma. I like her. And she's a tough waitress Uh, in Appalachia. After she witnesses a beating, she gets her hands on a gun. Yeah. Where did did you get the idea for her? Just because I've known a lot of women like her. She was raised in a family of four boys in an equalitarian family. She thinks mm-hmm. weak women that stay in relationships are just, you know, she doesn't even like weak women. You know, she doesn't understand why they don't leave. And then she witnesses a beating of a, young, of a, of a woman, uh, a yeah. single mother. And, uh, and then she starts to see that, you know, the, she needs to come to her ex-husband to ask him for $10 for shoes because her son, you know, has holes in his shoes and the kids are making fun of him. So she has to go to this ex-husband and and grovel, you know, for the son. Mm-hmm. So she starts to see that, that the situation isn't as clear-cut as what she thought. And, and she joins six and starts working for Secret Sisters. So that's how that joins her to Samara. And then, yeah. and then there's an episode that comes where she saves Samara. So um, anyway, so that's Thelma. And then she wants she wants power. She starts to see see that there's injustice towards women. She wants to get well. I can't tell you the rest, but she, there are other instances where she sees that women aren't don't have equal rights. So she runs for mayor because she's very popular. So she gets political power, right? So each woman oh. has, and then and then the third one. Oh, and when I first started writing the book, everybody said only one hero. Just have one hero. Women can't figure out two heroes. I said, no, I don't want to have one because women can have three children and a mother-in-law and a mother and they know everything about their lives. How hard will it be for them to juggle three women? Because I didn't want to just point a finger and say the Middle East is awful or, or America is awful or, the, or South America, you know what I mean? I wanted So the South America adventure is Evangelina, 18 years old. She's coming to work her first day. In a, she's going to work in an orphanage. And... Uh, uh, this car comes up. This car comes up, and and a drug lord kidnaps her, right? Yep. And so she is. In the story uh, is about her and the whole drug cartels in South America, and how well, how it worked with how well, how she 
handled the situation of being a mistress of a of a drug lord. So yeah. The three of them. Mm-hmm. And so through... And she also interacts with secret sisters. Yes. I, I, and I mm-hmm. love all three of these characters. And through escalating dangerous scenarios, all three women become heroes as they battle abuse and fight for the right to be happy on their own terms. Yeah, happy. And, and hopefully it's a fun book. And I wrote it in little pieces. Well, I know it's not fun because of the subject, but sure. I wrote it in little pieces so that you can come home from work, be an exhausted rag, read 20 minutes, and still know where you are in the book. Well, when I first got it, that's what I thought I was going to do, and I started inhaling it. I couldn't put it down. Oh, so I really, glad. I really couldn't. I, I, it was. I was supposed to be doing something else. I was like, <laughs> you know, it's it's that good. The story really moves quickly. I love the character development, all of it. What's the what's oh. what would you most want readers to take away from this novel? Uh, the spirit of unity. The spirit that the problems of women are the same everywhere. You know, it's just. If if you see a woman with her dead son, you know what she feels. It doesn't matter if she is Japanese, Asian, Pacific Islander, you know what I mean? Yeah. Women, feelings are the same. They may be from different things, but, but they're the same. And all of us want our children to do better than we do. We all want to be have our opinions considered. We all want to be able to walk on the street without somebody coming in a motorcycle and throwing acid at us because because we're wearing our skirt too short. You know what I mean? Everyone wants the same thing, and I just feel that this is the time. The women before my generation, the Margaret Sangers, the women that fought for equal rights at the voting booth, and then the women that fought for birth control and the women that are fighting for equal pay, you know, I just think we're going to crest pretty soon. Women are not going to take it anymore. I think it's much more easy to fix than we believe. It might be a little complicated, but with some effort, we can unravel this ridiculous knot of red tape and, and straighten it out and have everybody in this country and hopefully around the world respected as they should be. It seems that you, you said it took you seven years to write this book. You obviously enjoyed the process, and I I always love when somebody has some kind of expertise to fall back on. In your case, it's clinical psychology, which really gave you a way to influence the way you made the story go. Yeah, because I've had, you know, they aren't, those aren't real people I've had in my life, but they're little pieces. Everything that happens to them, I've had happen, well, practically everything, not Al appearing, but I mean, you know, not that one. Mm -hmm. But most of them, I have had, uh, you know, the experience of that little scenario has happened in one of my patients after all those years. So that's why to tell me of brave women is, about all those, tell me about all those brave women that ever existed. Fantastic. Well, let's talk about what's next for you. I want everybody to know what you have on your website, which is tellmeofbravewomen.com. You can go there and read excerpts from the book. You can subscribe to Dr. Laura's blog, or you can even contact her. And your the name of your blog is really cute. It's What Nana Knows. What do you but discuss or feel? So that's where I started with Nana Knows, but then I got, because those were just things about, um, if you go on my website, you'll see there about relationships, how to realize somebody's an abuser when you're just dating him, how, how to raise kids. It was more about that. But now I've gotten more activist. So so I did write that one about uh, the Equal Pay Amendment 
and okay. uh, and I'm writing this one now about you know I'm so I'm I'm kind of getting more radical, but so Good. you can go on the Huffington Post. I'm blogging for the Huffington Post, and you can see some of my blogs there too. Yeah, okay. I'm turning into a, a high uh, like you. I have a little wire inside, and it's getting electric. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty hot on some issues. I don't like the way the elections went this time around. I think um, it's, women didn't it's, vote. It's it's so it's a travesty. It's a travesty that yep. I I don't think young people or uh, even people in my generation were taught properly the importance and how hard it was to get the right to vote and then to not exercise that right. I think right. should be because now we're we're looking at if you don't have health care, there's a fine that you may be that may be imposed around tax time if you do not prioritize and get your health care situation uh situated. Right. What yeah. if what if we were to say something radical and say, well if you don't vote, you don't do your research and you don't vote, then there's going to be consequences. Well that's not so radical. We just got back from visiting our daughter in Australia. They have to vote. There's a consequence if you don't vote. And not only oh, is really? there a consequence, there's a big oh yeah, that ever you it's mandatory that you vote in Australia. And there is a big social cost if you don't vote. Not only do you get fined, but they see it on the register. It's it's not considered good. So there's social pressure to vote and there's financial yeah. pressure to vote in Australia. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought I thought I was being radical. I didn't know that was in existence. See that? No. See? So it, yeah, it makes you were radical sense. for America. <laughs> but we don't yeah. like to be quote made to do anything. Oh, it takes away our rights, and and it's it's just unbelievable. But they also have gun control over there, and they have far less massacres. So I think the Australians have some some pretty good ideas. <laughs> I'd like this entry on your blog, your your most recent uh, entry. What Nana knows number fourteen: Wolves wear sheep's clothing. Abusers can oh, yeah. be charming. Very good stuff. Yeah. Nana knows. It's hard to cry and fight at the same time. I have a problem about that. I'm fighting good. with blurry eyes and tiny fists. It's about it's about child abuse. Very, it's a it's a decent yeah. poem. Thank you so much for coming on the air and spending time with me. The website looks it's terrific. Wonderful. I, you're I wonderful. hope you had a good time. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're wonderful. Could, and it's we could wonderful probably, to talk to listeners. Yeah, we we could probably go on for hours. So if anything comes up in the future that you would like to discuss, consider it an open <laughs> invitation to come back okay. and bounce your ideas around and get people fired up because that's what we need okay. to do. That's what we need to do, and good luck, and yeah. God bless you in all of your work. Oh, oh thank you wonderful. so much, and good luck with the second yeah. book. I'm looking forward to Thanks. that as well. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll, I'll talk, talk to you soon. You take care, you. Dr. Laura. Thank you. You too. All right, okay, everybody. thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, everybody, that's our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you're inspired. I hope you go to her website. Tell me of bravewomen.com. Uh, read some excerpts from the book. It really is a, a fascinating novel, and her work is very important. Please pick up the baton and participate in trying to make the changes in the world and in this country that we need today. Until next time, God bless and be at peace.